Ever wondered how your A-League heroes started their career? The famous names they played with, the managers who believed in them, the stories they never told? Take your seat, grab a drink and listen in as Cam and Woody take you inside the Players' Lounge where you'll hear exclusive interviews with the A-League's finest footballers. Today, Stephen Taylor from the Premier League with Newcastle United to the A-League with Wellington Phoenix. This episode is sponsored by Football Central, the official retail and branding partner of the Wellington Phoenix. Stephen Taylor, welcome to the Players' Lounge podcast. How are you doing? Fantastic, yeah, really good. Excited for the new season. Been a long pre-season, but... Like the boys are now, ready to go. How are you enjoying life in Wellington? Yeah, loving life. Obviously, uh, for myself, last season coming out here, a uh, new chapter, new challenge in my uh, career, and it was something, you know, I, I just I wanted something that was going to test us, and this was definitely the opportunity that came around that wet my lips, and um, there was other opportunities to go uh, into Europe and try something new out there. But when I uh, spoke to uh, the manager and a few players who uh, have been out here. For me, it was a no-brainer. It was definitely going to be um, the biggest test, definitely the biggest challenge because everyone kept telling me, you know, why are you going to Wellington? I mean, I've seen the past few years, the struggle they've had. Um, you had the opportunity to go to a few uh, Australian sides. Why didn't you go there? But for me, this was one when I spoke to the manager and speaking to what bringing players in, changing the kind of the, uh, the culture um, mindset. And the way I think Wellington has been kind of knocked down the wooden spoon for a, a lot of years and is changing that. I want to be part of that. And my whole career is around the uh, that, like underdog mentality. And that's what I bring out here, especially uh, last season, that dog mentality on the pitch, uh, the fight um, and the leadership I've had all my career. Left school at 16 and that's when you become a man. As soon as you leave school, you step into a, a first team background and you're in around the kind of uh, players like the Alan Shearers of the world, Shea Given, Jonathan Woodgate, Gary Speed, big senior heads. I want to be surround myself around that, watching on a day-to-day basis how they go around doing the job, what do they do after training, off the pitch. And I kind of spent a lot of my younger year, uh, years as just what do they do, analysing everything and uh, didn't want to disappoint them. So when I go and train with them, I want them to think, hey, I can rely on him. Because I... I we came out here last year and a lot of people keep saying, oh, he's a young lad, this guy's a young guy. These guys are 23 years old. For me, that's not young. You know, you've got to be making the game at 18 years old. You're a man, especially in the early. It's a man's game here. And you look at the, uh, the teams over the past few years who have been successful out here. They're, you know, they're full of men, you know, like experience in there. And um, the manager's come now who believes in that kind of mentality of, you know, keeping the squad together for a lot of years instead of the year league. I think last year over sixty percent of players were out of contract, and I had to understand that. Seeing how many players just get moved around, and uh, I was saying the boys last year when you're in the tunnel, you're seeing the players. Listen, they might be your friends, but you focus on the game. None of this kind of handshakes and cuddle each other. None of that. Uh, we're here for one reason, one reason only, and that's to win the game. Um, so that's one of the reasons. Yeah, for me, take us back where it all started for you. You were born in London, yep. and then you got taken up to Newcastle weeks later? Yes, obviously. We had a house in Newcastle. Uh, dad worked in the police in London, uh, so my mum went down there with my dad, and then uh, yeah, she had me a little bit early. And uh, obviously, I got from the hospital straight back up to Newcastle, where our house was, and ever since then, really. Um, Dad's big on his football, loved it. Yeah. Took me to every uh, home game in Newcastle. We ended up, He ended up buying a bond. Uh, I think it was 500 sterling pounds just to get your name on the seat and we didn't, I didn't have the money back then and I didn't kind of appreciate the stuff that he went out and did I used to say I want that kind of boots he went and got me it he did everything in his power to do that uh, nine years old going into 43 players from Newcastle School of Excellence uh, back then and uh, he would leave work early come and uh, get me from home take me to training never missed one training session and I see Obviously, the top players, young kids at the time, just weren't turning up because the, the parents weren't couldn't leave work and stuff like that, and they fell by the wayside. And I was very fortunate to have the support I did from my mum and dad, and especially my dad, who literally watched every game, even when I made it from Newcastle. Would travel to Europe after the UEFA Cup games, and he never missed a game. And he's, you know, even to this day now, he gets up early hours of the morning to watch the uh, the games and. 
he's always like finding something to watch uh, the games on and uh, that's the, that's how we're building you know we, we live eat breathe sleep football it's just in our uh, yeah it's in our identity so for me it was yeah back from a, a young young age in Newcastle um, big support of Newcastle United uh, ball boy from nine years old all the way till about 15 um, I thought I'd be the closest I'll ever get to the pitch because back then there wasn't many young lads getting the opportunities you know they, they might play out the odd cup game um, but they eventually just get uh, released and or sent down the lower leagues and that's what happens to a lot of the, the young lads but I had a bit of chip in my shoulder I remember when I was left school at 16 I believed I should be in the first team so I would knock on Bobby Robson's door I was fuming a few times when I see um, a couple of centre-backs at the time lost a few games and I thought I deserved to be playing um, I was, we went and knocked on Bobby Robson's door about to show my frustration and he knew I was frustrated and he managed to kind of talk about something completely different I walked in the room he said how's your dad doing how's your, how's your mum doing got off the subject anyway I came out of the change room he's got his arm around us I didn't even get a word out and it's the man management skills of that and to that day I gained more respect and I was like oh, wow this guy's something special and he said listen when you uh, obviously you're old enough you're good enough out there you just keep doing what you're doing and I'll be watching every game reserve game you come watch and it was kind of like I want to impress him because I believed I should be playing 17 years old I got given the, one of the biggest awards in Newcastle it's called the War Jackie Award Jackie Milburn legend in Newcastle um, I thought everyone's going to wear a black tuxedo that night I'm going to wear a white so I turned out in a white tuxedo the first team staff and players didn't even know us at the time Got in the uh, the room and got my award and everyone's in black and I've turned up in white. And I remember a physio at the time, Derek Wright, goes, who the hell does this kid think he is? But I had to set a statement. And when I left school, I just trained every day and I was always against the likes of Shearer because he tried to toughen me up, um, the manager at the time. Now I left school, never did any weights or anything like that. And it helped us because I tell you what, for that first two years, I got battered every day, literally against the likes of Shearer and Bellamy, I was getting cakes, smashed, cut eyes, and it toughens you up. You know, you go home and you think, I'm not letting that happen again. I'm not gonna let that happen again. And that's just the way I was. And it was funny, it was just like, I had a nosebleed, a cut eye in one of the training sessions, and one of the lads goes, you all right? And I'm like, what the hell? Are you all right? I don't need any uh, looking after. You know, that was just the mentality I had as a, as a young kid. And, uh, it all came and all started at Real Mallorca, um, UEFA Cup, Samuel Eto'o, got my chance and uh, we won that night, UEFA Cup, week, uh, the week after, away to Bolton because the, the centre-halves were still injured. I think we had five, six, seven injuries, so they had no choice but to play me. And um, we got beat 1-0, the balls come uh, down, I went ahead and back, got a nudge in the back, guys in the uh, Pedersons on the side, the 18-yard box. And he's hit it over the top of Shea Given. 1 0, we lost. And I thought this could be the end of me. Uh, I didn't get a chance until the following season um, when Graham Sooness came in. And we were training. And I remember in training, he, would keep, he keeps saying to me every day, You look like a player, but are you a player? Can you handle 52,000 every week? And uh, eventually, he gave me the chance uh, against Everton, St. James Park. Um, he brought me in his office and he goes listen you're going to start today but if you don't smash someone in the first 10 minutes you're going to come off do you realise that and I went yeah yeah and that was my that was enough for me there you know people say what what gets you up for a game when you walk out there and you see the fans that adrenaline boost for you it's something special you know you, you shouldn't have to give up for the game that, that does enough for you and uh, I never looked back got my opportunity and took it and played and lived the dream of you know, every Newcastle United supporter. Um, it was just something special and obviously coming from the family as well who watched every single game, travelled to every away game in Europe. The success we had um, in, in Europe as well was incredible. It's just a football <laughs> city that people don't understand that. In London, in the UK, after a game people forget from Monday to Friday about the previous result. When you're in Newcastle, it's all about that result. And they talk about it all week. You go into the supermarkets, you go into uh, cafes, the shops, the restaurants. I speak to all grandmas and grandas in the street and still remind us, hey, 
get them in bloody gear, sort it out, and it's great because that's what it's about. And I think what makes that would make Newcastle unique in England like that because of football city. And that's why I've got something special here with Wellington because it's similar, it's very unique. We're um, different, obviously, to the Australian teams that we play against. We do different. We do things different out here. The mentality, the culture that's behind it. Um, and it's, yeah, it, for me, it was, it was a phenomenal time that I had there. And, yeah, I loved every minute of it. You touched on Bobby Robson there. What made him so special? I think it was his kind of his man management skills with the players. I said not so much the coaching aspect of things. It's the way he knew how to deal with individuals, how to get the best out of them, what made players tick. Um, having that kind of family feel, even in the times we're coming after training, we're going to have lunch and uh, we'd be sitting there. He'd always make sure the players would wait until he'd come in the room. Once he'd come in the room, give his orders, the boys you can eat. You eat together, you spend time together. You don't just come in, train, go home. You come in, everyone together, you wanted the time for everybody to sit down, talk to each other, interact. We got a lot of foreign players at the time. So that was the time for the players to kind of talk. After you finished your food, you had to wait until he's finished his dessert and had his coffee. You wanted everything talking and eventually the salt and peppers would get banged on the table, the lads rattling it, can we go yet? And eventually that was the kind of time. But when he gets in the office and he has that aura about him in the room, when he talks, the respect, everyone listens. And uh, like I said before, one of them guys, you just go through a brick wall. You don't want to let him down. The finest little details, everything, basic, your little passes that you do in training, you take it on match day. Just You don't want to disappoint on a day-to-day basis. And uh, for me, it was just, it was an honor, I think, to have a manager of his stature. And it was just Sir Bob Robson for a reason. The respect he had all over the world. And I'm a very lucky lad to, to play under him. And he gave you your first professional contract. Pro day for you? Yeah, I remember sitting uh, at St. James Park, talking to uh, Sir Bobby Robson, thinking, I wish my mates could see us right now. You know, like, my dad was there, and uh, for us, we couldn't believe it, getting the car. That's Bobby Robson, by the way. Mm. Just been sitting with Bobby Robson, because I was like a fan, even when I was in the change room with these guys, and these didn't even understand that. I'm thinking, I've scored a goal in training. This is fucking phenomenal. I want to celebrate it. <laughs> It's just, that's normal for them, but I was just a bit more passionate with the, the way I went around my business. And even to this day, you'll see, I still celebrate my goals now in training. I love doing what I do, and that'll never stop. It's the hyperness I've got inside of me. It's like a drug inside of me that I can never get rid of. Um, but that's just kind of like from my dad as well. I think the biggest thing is having a, a small group of friends and a small family who are so passionate and supportive. Um, who have got us to where I've got with all the tools there for us to, to go and do what I do and uh, live my dream. So when you made your debut, uh, your first professional debut, would have been your UEFA Cup at the time. Yes. Did Bob Robson say anything to you at the time when you were going on the pitch? Yeah, I remember it was um, before the game. He goes, listen, it could be a, the night you get your, your chance, son. But he said that about 15 times before and in other games, I thought, this must be what you do to try and give the guy a bit of confidence. But before I got uh, stripped and going on, he goes, listen, enjoy it. Um, just relax I think it was just about uh, if you get a chance get your head on the end of uh, some crosses because we're getting a lot of corners and free kicks and uh, I do I do fancy myself on every set player so I just had that vision of scoring a goal um, but yeah three simple words just, yeah, it was good Just before your, your debut you went up on loan to Wickham Wanderers with Tony Adams as the manager which I believe is your childhood hero how was that? Was that a, a big transition coming from Newcastle to a smaller club? No, not at the time because I was playing reserve team football. And um, when you play your football on a Monday night, especially when we played our home games, we played in the uh, Newcastle Falcons stadium, the rugby stadium, and the pitches weren't great. And I was playing against players who were on the fringes or just being outcasted by the, the, the club, and I wasn't getting tested enough. And I'll go in on a Tuesday morning and see the manager go, listen, I need something else. Let me go on loan, let me go somewhere. And he ends up getting a phone call from Tony Adams. So I think I did an interview and I mentioned about Tony Adams. He, and he just got a new job, Wickham Wanderers. And they rang him up and he said, Listen, do you want to go there? And that was a no brainer. First team football. Exactly. First team football, lower league. And that was probably the first time ever I've realised what it meant to people who have mortgages. It's something I've never had to deal with. Obviously, my mum and dad taking care of us, that and the other. I went down to League Two and Playing Wickham Wanderers, um, 
and that's when I really started to understand what it meant. I think seeing people nearly in tears because they relied on wins for their bonuses yeah, to pay their mortgages. Um, we're getting ready at the stadium, getting in cars, shared cars to go and train on a, a different type of field at the time. And all these, this is all new to me. I was thinking, what the hell's going on here? And it was their kind of, it toughened me up. I was against men who were physically stronger, mm. quicker. That made the time and I was thinking, I need to find a way. And that's where I just started playing my heart. I was saying, these might be physically stronger, quicker than me, but they'll never outdo me with their, my fight. And that kind of, I think that toughened me up massively, learning from him. And uh, it sent me back with that hunger of, I want more. And you're talking about going back there. So Bob Robson bringing you in into a squad of, just like you said, Alan Shearer, Gary Speed, Jonathan Woodgate, Craig Bellamy, Shea Given. It's quite an environment to be in at the time, at, at your age, at that yeah. time. Was you intimidated at all? No, or? I, no I loved it. Because I believe I deserved to be there. I deserved to be starting. And... Uh, when I come against the likes of Alan Shearer, that was me testing myself every day of going against someone who, you know, I wanted to turn the tables on him if I want to batter him. So I have to learn his strengths, his weaknesses, then I play on his weaknesses and look at what Craig Bellamy does and two different types of players. Speaking to them, I was always one of them that would ask questions all the time and they'd probably think, will you shut up? And that's just the way I was because I was always wanting to learn the best of what he, what he hates defenders doing to him compared to like Craig Bellamy. What do you not like defenders doing? What do you... What do you look for in defenders, like weaknesses and stuff like that? And changing games up in different types of situations where tactics goes out the window and you become, you've got to find a way to win the game. Mm. And learning from them kind of players, their leadership roles they've got, uh, their values was huge for me. Moving on forward and dealing with, uh, like I relish myself playing big stadiums, millions on TV. That for me, I love the big stage. Um, and when you go away, grounds like 46,000 fans, Sunderland fans, wishing I was dead. I, they don't understand that. I love that. That just sparks me to play that bit more better. And uh, I love the kind of the hostile atmospheres. You know, that's what your football's on. That's what's well. That's why you're a footballer to play in the high level um, and stay there. Who was uh, who was running the dressing room at the time? It was Alan Shearer, uh, Speedo, Gary Speed, and uh, Shea Given. And Woodgate was kind of the pra uh, the prankster, the loudmouth who was always around and uh, making himself heard. But those guys, they controlled it very well. And they had the experience through the core and the youth on the sides. And it worked so well with the energy we had in the team, impact players coming off the bench who uh, always changed the game up. And we made you know St. James Park like a fortress. And that's one thing we touched upon it last year is making uh, the Westpac a fortress. So when teams fly across and want to play us, it's a nightmare. They don't want to come here. And when they see the plane against us, it's like, oh, I don't want to come against him. Oh, this is going to be a tough game today. And that's how it was. I always knew we had a chance when I see people wearing gloves in the in the tunnel. I look at them and go, hey, it's not the day to wear gloves, son. It's going to be cold and horrible for you. And I make sure I batter you and make sure you feel the coldness on the ground. It's going to be wet. It's going to be horrible. You want to get in the shower and go home. And uh, we had so much success doing that is kind of our mentality was we ain't, we ain't going to lose at home. If we lost the home game, we had to win the away game. We just win the home, draw away, and win top six. That's how our mindset was. And uh, it, it worked for us for a number of years. So I want to touch on uh, Gary Speed there. Um, true professional. Massive. He's probably my guy I went to on a day-to-day -day basis, kind of models my game around his mentality. I think the way he went around it, led by example I always ask questions to him all the time I said how do you get the best out of him and him and this that and the other and he just said listen I do my job first and foremost they follow me so when they see me playing well they play well if I'm not doing my job right they're going to look hey what's going on here because at the time he was in his 30s mid 30s and he said I'm in training pre-season every year I make sure I'm the top dog people may say I'm this age but I tell you what I'll do them I'll outwork them and that mindset for me just drove me to, I want to be like that. Mm. So when I see the boys doing three sets of 10, I'll always see him doing that extra few more just to kind of put people to bed going, hey, you haven't got that in your locker. The extra runs that he does, so people see after training, he's doing extra runs. People, they see him doing it and they're thinking, oh my God, that's why he's had the career that he's had. He just went that bit further. In games, he was selfish. He was just 
in his way. He went around the business, done it, then went and helped out with his teammates, you know, going around and he's like the manager, I kinda on the pitch. And I think uh, like I said to you, you don't let him down. And that was the kind of way you went around your business. I'm not gonna let you down today. I'll got your back and I definitely knew he had mine. Can you remember where you were when you heard the sad news? Yeah, I was um in a restaurant in Newcastle and it came through on the uh, the phone and it was just crazy, I think uh it was out of the blue. So touching on your your premiership debut, obviously Graham Souness was at the club there managing. How did that day happen? The debut was basically got me in his office before the Everton game and uh you know, weeks leading up to it, he always get in my ear. He's always just saying, oh, you look like a player, but are you a player? I don't know if you can handle 52,000. You know, you've seen so many young players come and play the League Cup and then they, they crumble. You could be one of them. I don't know if you've got in you. I don't know, I think you're a bit weak. And I was just like, I had a way for my time and I was anxious to give, give me a chance. The more time I said, yeah, but have you, got the, you know, have you got the balls to play me? Give me a chance. And he did. He uh, got me in his office and like I said, yeah, within the first 10 minutes, he said, if you don't go and smash someone, you're coming off. So the first 10 minutes, I remember putting a tackle in on Kevin Kilban. Fans go wild. Uh, the hairs on my back stood up. I'm saying, this is where I belong. This is me. The fans singing your name, that's, that's got to be something special. Yeah, 100%. I think with, with the early on, the first 10, 15 minutes, you hear your name. One Stephen Taylor getting shouted, it was like, oh, wow, I want more of this. I just wet my lips more. And yeah, especially as a Newcastle fan. 100%. I think them feelings is... Uh, I didn't want to just be a one-off. I didn't want to be a one-season hit wonder. You know, I want to leave my legacy here. The next season, you, you uh, managed to make your way into the starting eleven quite a lot. Um, but the game that would stand out of that season was the Aston Villa game. Yeah. You've handled the ball in the box a few times. Mm-hmm. Take us through what happened. So I remember when uh, Nicky Butt was on the halfway line, dwelling on the ball. And uh, he slipped. Darius Fussell goes clean, uh, goes through to uh, Shea Given. So I sprinted back, went past Shea Given. He's went past Shea Given, so just me and Darius Vassell. I know with these strikers, they're always going to try something different. They're just going to go one way. So I dodged to go one way and I went the other. And he's hit it a bit too high and it's hit my, uh, my hand. And I thought the referee was further down the field. I didn't realise he's only about 30 yards away. And I was just trying to do everything not to get sent off. I held my side of my stomach. I was thinking, please do not send me off here. Not in the front of the home fans. And uh, when he pulled out the red card, I thought, I want to get battered here. And then again, a standing ovation, I think, for the platoon. And uh, went into the change room by yourself, in the showers, got my suit on, and sat there by myself in the change room, thinking, I'm, I'll just let my team down. Wow, I was, I was fuming myself and I remember seeing not long after that two of the players, Kieran Dyer and Lee Boyer come in the dressing room with two security guards. Lee Boyer's got his shirt ripped and I'm thinking to myself, Lee Boyer's had a fight with one of them. Kieran Dyer has helped them out, stopped it. But instead, I heard Kieran Dyer say, Lee, you punched like a pussy. So uh, I went into the players' lounge and uh, seen what happened. And I thought, there's a God. Because that took the pressure right off me there. And uh, when the family was here and all the boys came in, and the first thing I went up straight to the captain and went, I've got to apologise. He goes, no, no, you don't apologise. Used to go out of the office now, get yourself in the press room, explain yourself. And I thought I was like Homer Simpson backing in the bushes, like this is absolutely brilliant, by the way, because you guys have saved me. Uh, so if they didn't get sent off, it could have been a different scenario for me. Talking about bust ups. Any in your career in training pitch? We always have a few. Like, to be fair, like it all started with like the likes of Shearer, and you have like your your moments and your elbows. There's always handbags, but it's always handbags. We always keep everything in house, and that's one thing I live by is the stuff that ex players sometimes come out and they talk about the stuff that goes on. I don't agree with that because you're revealing stuff that's in-house that were kept in personal instead of getting some people in trouble because there's a lot that went on if the outside world have heard that they'd be like you can't be doing that it's like the Wimbledon days uh, the stuff that they got up to and did 
the proper terror. Like they had proper punch-ups, proper stuff happening. But ours was just like, it was all in-house. And you have breakfast with each other, going on holiday with each other the following summer. So for us, that's always something I've always kept under under wraps. I would never reveal what has gone on with the players, what they've done, because it was the heat. The more you got to remember, you're with each other every single day. And apart from obviously the, the month off that you get, but it was the passion that we had at the time. We had a lot of uh, fun times. You have some wild times, and but it's like a roller coaster. It's the best way I could describe that is a roller coaster. You have your ups and downs, but at the end of the day, we uh, we, we all still speak to each other. Not one person I play with who I don't speak to to this day, and I'll always keep. Uh, even if I did a book, I would never reveal exactly what went on in the dressing rooms. It's like the stuff that happens with birthdays back in the day. I can't touch upon a few things of that because of the stuff that goes on now. The PFA helps out, and there's a lot that could be uh, said. If you asked me 10 years ago, it's easier to talk about, but in this day and age now, we've got too many people into trouble and I wouldn't reveal that. And I think that's something that we hold as a players together, especially in Newcastle with tight-knit group. So I think I'd always keep that under wraps. You kicked on over the next couple of seasons, especially yeah. sort of 06, 07, uh, under Glenn Roder at the time. Breakthrough season for you? Yeah, I think it was. I think because uh, at the time we were playing a lot of UEFA Cup games and... I just got my momentum playing week in, week out, Premiership, because I think they were scared about putting me in Premier League and UEFA Cup, and there's a lot of games. You know, you're talking 38 Premier League games, and then you've got the Cup games, the FA Cup, League Cup, UEFA Cup. Um, but I knew I could handle it. I said, listen, I want to play. Um, I feel good. And he gave me the opportunity to do that. He was very hard on me. I was like his, uh, I was like his punching bag, basically. He just went at me every single day in training, every match. There's games I think we're doing all right here and tuning it up at half time and he, he just picks go straight to me and absolutely obliterates me in front of the group and uh, it was hard on me. Like I remember the time he brought uh, a rugby kicking coach in and he had two big pads and he said, throw the ball in the air and he came with these pads and he would just whack you as you want to head the ball, you get in your face. And I'm thinking as a manager, I would do this. And I was thinking, perhaps just, why is this me that's getting this done? But... It was a way of just kind of toughening you up, getting ready for the real world and the big world out there. And uh, he was, he was yeah, another, another guy who was hard on us. And that's why I say to the young lads these days is when a manager stops speaking to you, that's when you need to worry. You know, I always look at it as a positive when a, a manager's getting on your case. He, he's just trying to make you better. And like when players are having a go, yeah, they're not just because they don't like it. We just want you to be better than what you are. It's as simple as that. You also, you scored uh, your first goal that year. Uh, St James's Park Salavigo win the Intertoto Cup um, it was 1-1 86th minute I think it was the corner uh, Albert Luque puts the ball into the box and uh, I just said the tightest we weren't getting much joy um, on set pieces and I said listen that's two it was 2v2 two two is a duel let's just go and have a tack and I said there's no chance this guy's going to beat me in the air and I was going in there full force and then uh, connected well, scored a goal and they called it the Forrest Gump celebration where I just ran from the corner flag all the way to the end of the pitch. And I was absolutely knackered. Literally got the end. I said, how long is left? He went four minutes. I went, I haven't got four minutes left in me. And the ball came back and I just had a toe poke. I don't even think I kicked it. I toe poked the ball away. And the boys were like, what are you doing? I went, I can't move, mate. My legs don't work now. And it went jelly. It's the first time in my career I had jelly legs. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And that's why the Forest Gump came with us because of that. And I thought, I can't keep doing this every time I score because this is just too much. Does that feeling ever go away? <sighs> never. Yeah. Never. I still remember now how that feeling just like your heart. I see some strikers score and they just give a little celebration. I'm going absolutely bananas, mate. I'm up and down that touchline. I'm milking it. Now, 15 seconds, you don't know what it feels. Honestly, when you have that that feeling, it's like a, like a goal line clearance or that now the best feeling in the world so flipping enjoy it and that's how you want more and more and more 100% I don't care if it's in training I want to enjoy every flipping goal I score every block you do you got to enjoy it uh, being a regular over the next couple of seasons and, and different managers unfortunately um, Sam Allardyce Kevin Keegan coming coming back to the club had started to have a lot of injuries yeah. starting to develop tough time personally it was but it was frustration as well. I think the uh, when it comes to ligaments, 
Listen, I think it's, uh, well, early on I dislocated my shoulder. I was thinking, ah, it's a freak thing, you know. I didn't really have many muscle injuries. It was just big one, the big ones that get the dislocated shoulders, snap both Achilles. So I'm thinking early on, dislocated shoulder, that wasn't a problem. Then the other side went, got back from that. Um, I just found it was like every every season after that, I was just getting these daft, daft injuries. And I got to 26 and I snapped the uh, right Achilles. And that for me was a big one because I knew that's like, like a career uh, injury. The two surgeons I went to see, both of them said, do an insurance job. Uh, you've got to learn how to walk again. That's going to be your biggest thing. Um, and Mike Ashley, I've got to take my hat off to him because he ends up buying a machine for over 30 odd thousand pounds called an Alter G machine, which gave me the confidence uh, to walk again. Because I, uh, I had a limp for a, a few weeks, which I didn't think I could recover from because my first two weeks, every injury I had, I was at the wound healed after the operation. And then I get straight back into the gym and around my teammates. So for me, it's like, I've got to be around the lads. I've got to be in the early morning sessions at 7.30. And because I think before that, I always see players get depressed, they have big injuries and they get depressed and, you know, they lose that kind of fight. And my kind of fight was, people tell me out for nine months. Um, my Achilles, I was out for four and a half, came back and made the England squad within seven months. So for me, I knew that I could do that. Three years later, the left side goes. I was thinking, I got any luck here or what? I said, I've done it before. You know, you stop feeling sorry for yourself. You have that little bit of few days, you're feeling sorry, angry at yourself. Get away from that. And it's like, you know what you gotta do? Operation, two weeks, let the wound heal, get back in the gym every day, incentivize myself. And that's all I did was my incentivize, come back and visualize playing for a, cast on a regular basis again I wasn't just going to come back and prove to people that I can go and play again I want to be the top of my game again that was the kind of mindset I had and I just had some freak injuries which stopped me from probably progressing to the uh, the England squads yeah at the time it got bad to worse for you really when Newcastle getting relegated at the time that's the big one that killed me because when we first got relegated I remember the time they said listen you got to leave Newcastle if you want to be in the England squad and that hurt because I think it was uh, Everton at the time. Come close. Um, I couldn't leave. I was in the I was in the squad that went down, and I had to be the squad that gets back up. That was just the way I was, and I think I sacrificed that. Um, and I seen other players getting in this squad, who I thought, wow, that really hurt, just because they played in the Premier League, and he wasn't picking anyone in the Championship, and that yeah cost me. Of getting the uh, the chance, but to be fair, I still I stick by what I did. I, I stayed by them. We got back up, and it was the best thing that happened to the club at the time. Got rid of the players who didn't want to be there because we still had a lot of players who were hitting the big wages but not putting in the performances, and they were there for the wrong reasons. Um, so for me, we built a good. You know, the team was back to the fight again. We had everything there. We won the championship. Phenomenal feeling. Uh, got the fans back and uh, yeah it was just the, the, the little injuries I was getting picked up it was, it was just horrible I couldn't get a run of games and I remember two three years ago it was three years ago now went uh, came back from America um, went to Ipswich and I broke down there I think I had three games in six months couldn't get a run of games together it was, it was, it was killing me because I was thinking What's going on here? Am I just breaking down? What do I need to change? And uh, I think just got into the nutrition side of things and looking after myself much better. And took a step back, went to Peterborough, and that gives a platform to do what I'm doing now. Is playing 52 games in a year, and that belief came back as I can do it. Came out here, hungry, and uh, yeah, still wanting more and success here. One of them uh, bad injuries. Ruled you out with the under 21s European Championships at the time. Yes. You've captained from under 16s to the under 21s. And Stuart Pierce was the manager there. Tough time? That was the hardest thing, yeah. Yeah, well, I remember ankle ligaments at the time. Um, had to go down and say that to his face. I felt weak telling him that I couldn't go and play. 
I was thinking, I will have to find a solution. Can I inject my ankle or do something just so I can get through? Because I played with ankle ligament damage in the semi-finals against Holland uh, in the European Championships in the 17s, I think it was. Was it the 21s, might have been? I scored a penalty. So I knew I could deal with the pain. Um, it was just something that could probably affect later on in my career. That's what was kind of worrying me a bit going, I could probably play, but I, I think I could mess myself up for the later years. Um, so I had to recover from it and I needed that, that time off. And for me, it worked because I played the rest of the season, uh, played off the season, got the, won the championship. And uh, yeah, I was good at it because I thought that's our best chance of winning the European Championships. We weren't beaten for two years. Everyone would come against, uh, we had a phenomenal side. But um, I think they lost to Germany. And yeah, watching back there, the games I played against Germany, I never lost. So I thought so, uh, a bit of a kick in the teeth. Stuart Pierce, a big influence on that side? Loved him. He's. Um, just the way around the way, the way he is as a person I think uh, the passion he's got I think it says it all what, what he liked was a player as a manager he's, he's that passionate on the, uh, the sidelines as well he, there's another one as well where he plays for a manager you just don't want that down that's everyone you've got you go there and uh, he just gets the best out of you he knows how to push your buttons and that comes by past managers who he's had back in the old era of like that old mentality of I've got to have that dog mentality. You know, everyone I've always taught over the years, all these leaders that I've had, they've always mentioned the dog mentality and I take that now to the boys and say, listen, that's one of the things we talk about is manner out here in New Zealand. And that's the family that we've got, the respect, the reputation and the dog mentality because that is our identity. You know, creating history last year, for me personally, I just think that's a given anyway. You've got to have that in you anyway. If you, it should just come with normal. But for manner, I think um, it's kind of what, what I've been like all my career, the way I've been. Um, and some of this football club, rising from the Phoenix, that's me. Rising from the ashes is the Phoenix, that's me. Yeah, 100%. In 2007, you got called up for the England squad under Steve McLaren. Did you think that that was the time? Yeah, I think it was before. It was the England B game first. I think I had an England B game first, played that. And then I think it was the Germany the national team one. So I've been around that kind of, uh, with the players that were there and all that, the likes of Rio Ferdinand, the, the John Terry's, the Lampards, the uh, Jermaine Defoe's, the Rooney's, and I was thinking, oh, I want a bit more of this. This is unbelievable. The Germany came along in 2007, Wembley, on the bench. I thought, this is phenomenal. I want more of this. Didn't get my chance to, to come on there, but being in the squad was, yeah, it was something special and you, you realise the quality that was at my United, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, even training. Their standards, their high standards. I went back to Newcastle, I said, I need to raise my game. 100%. I'm, I'm training with the likes of John Terry, who was an absolute warrior there, who was throwing himself on the ground, wanted to get hit with the ball all the time in his face and I thought, I want to be like that. You know, do anything just to shape my game around different things, take little bits of each individual player and say, how can I get better at this? Um, Analyze my game of what's my weaknesses? I said, okay, that's my weaknesses, what's my strengths? And I stick to all my strengths. I never work really on weaknesses, it's all to do my strengths. Every game is different. And uh, it's like last year, I remember the manager kept saying, why don't you, you go on uh, the app huddle to watch over the games, I'm asking the players, and I've never done that in my career. Everything you do, next week's different I always put that even when we win I always put that game to bed focus on the next game you can never change what's happened before just look forward a couple of more seasons in and out of uh, of the team due to injury and other factors did you start realising your time at Newcastle was coming to an end not at the time I think it was uh, when the the business side of it started kicking I think it was the last season that's when I noticed a big change the last year before we, we got relegated I think went to La Manga and the cracks started appear with the manager and the players where we had like a, a mole in the camp. And for the players, we were looking, it's got to be one of the, we were thinking it's got to be one of the staff, it can't be the players and the staff are thinking it's got to be one of the players. 
and it turns out to be, uh, you know, a so-called club legend um, who nobody would have thought would be. Um, and we were shocked. We were shocked because that was causing so many problems that person was leaking stuff to the press and they knew or we were doing things and everything just kept coming out and it broke us away from the staff and the manager Steve McCrown left I think he left if he left earlier and Rafa came in a bit earlier I think we would have stayed up the the stuff that Rafa did was phenomenal I think uh, he got us playing again hard to beat I remember the last game um, 5-1 I thought here we're going to be here for a few more years now. I like the way this is looking. So we won Tottenham the last game there with 5-1, St. James Park. Um, went in on Monday morning to see the chairman. We sat down and he said, listen, we'll have a, a year's contract here for you. Um, but we're bringing like four, there's four defenders. There's going to be Saturday, Tuesday, there'll be a lot of like squad rotation. I'm thinking, I need to play games. I'm coming to 30 years. I don't want to be a big part player. That's, I can sit on a good wages, what on the bench. That's just not me. I think that was the time where I seen, obviously, um, my fellow, um, I seen, obviously, Genie go. Tim Cruel was ended up leaving as well. And it was hard, I think, for me. I was like, I need a, I need a new challenge. I think it's one thing I've never experienced apart from Newcastle. I always visualize that's just me, Newcastle, all my life. That's how it's going to be, and uh, a team in Turkey, Adana Sport, came up and uh, they got promoted to the Super League. And they said, Listen, we want to bring you out here. Went to Istanbul, had a meeting with them, but was signed a three year contract. And uh, the military coup happened the night of uh, about to sign the deal. And I was in the restaurant, I was getting phone calls from my dad and friends back home. Have you seen the news about the military coup? I was like, What the hell is this? I'm thinking I can't get back to the hotel where my passport is because the army come across the bridge. So we ended up with the Turkish guys who were looking after them, my, my agent and uh, lawyer at the time. We had to go the other side of the road, go up the outside of uh, Istanbul. And I had to wait a few days to get out of uh, Turkey and that for me scared me off. Parents obviously weren't happy with it. They said, you, that's not you. Come away from that. And Portland Timbers uh, spoke to me and flew me straight out there and said, listen, we love you. To, to come out here, there'll be a, a three-year deal for the Timbers. Um, signed there. You know, when I was playing there, it was kind of people, you get forgotten about. And I noticed when I was out there, even you win, lose, or draw, it didn't really matter to a lot of them. And I lost that kind of like, that buzzing feeling when I win a game, I want that special feeling. I, I didn't have that there. I, I found that people looking at me say, oh, you're retired. If you're going to go there, it's like a retirement place. Because a lot of players come to the end of their career, the Gerrards, the Perlows, the Lampards, everybody went out there. Mm. I played 15 games in three months and I thought, there's still a lot left in the tank here. Mick McCarthy, my old uh, Nike guy, was best pals with him and he rang us up and said, would you come back to the championship? I said, I need to go with this contract. And Portland, I've got to say, were unbelievable. They understood the drive that I had and they let me leave. Um, to go and play for Ipswich. I said, listen, you know, one day possibly come, could come back, but I'm still hungry. I want to be playing at a high level and went to the championship Ipswich. So I remember leaving October time. I couldn't sign until January, so I had a few months off. Um, came back in January, I went to Ipswich, played three games and broke down. I remember the first game I played 90 minutes. After eight days training, that's all I had. It felt fine. But the week after, I lasted about 20 minutes. It felt a pop in uh, the hamstring. And I was embarrassed at the time to come off. I was thinking, I must be able to play with this. I don't want them to say, oh, he's injured. Because all the injuries I had at Newcastle. So I was trying to get in my head, I'll be all right at play. Ends up coming off. It cost me a, a few months out injured. And then we were struggling down near the relegation area. We just had to win against Wigan to secure... Uh, safety and I knew it wasn't right I still had a little bit of a, a, a seven centimetre tear in the hamstring and uh, I played that game once again within 20 minutes I felt a pop hamstring gone again but this time I carried on 
we got three and a little half time and uh, I was in that much agony but I can take a lot of pain and that's the pain that I handled until half time I said there's no chance I can come out here that's me I'm finished and Sportman McCarthy he wanted to keep us for the next year but the ownership upstairs didn't believe I could play two games a week so that's summer I spent my time in uh, Spain a place called Tenerife with a Newcastle trainer who came out with me so I had 62 sessions in 30 days and uh, I just had to get my body in, in top because this is the last this is it either you get back fit or you, you're out of the game so I remember coming back after that and looking for a club everyone I rang up at the time speaking to managers past managers I've played under there was nothing it was like the ownership upstairs and the way football had moved around was how many games you played and can you play two games a week and that was the questions that were getting asked is I don't think you can you've, you've had too many injuries and I said well, let's come down and train I'll, I'll prove myself and it was like ah, we just don't believe you can play the two games a week so I'm running around all these uh, managers clubs trying to to get myself down there I was just getting no's no's no I'd say about 14 no's at the time seriously it was about four, maybe more um, and I was watching Sky Sports News seeing all these transfers coming through and I'm thinking no back train with the trainer still nothing ring lawyer agent have you heard anything no nothing I get a phone call uh, saying Doncaster Rovers when you come and uh, train and they've got a game against Derby County it's going to be there'll be like scouts there there's going to be people watching put yourself back in the shop window and that was a hard one to swallow I think you know I went and trained for a few days with Doncaster played against Derby County and um yeah, I got a phone call the next day. Doncaster offered me a contract that night. Next day, I got a phone call. Barry Fry at uh, Peterborough United wants to speak to you. So, from Newcastle, I get the train down to Peterborough, get off, uh, get the car with uh, my lawyer at the time, straight in to see Barry Fry. He was an absolute football and legend. Um, and Peterborough's obviously the train like a school. So I was going to uh, this school, seeing Barry Fry, and he, his first words I'll never forget was, Stephen Taylor, this is Peterborough United, not Manchester United. And I thought, I can't believe you just said that, mate. And that there wounded me, honestly. I had a tail between my legs. I've looked at me like, what have you done to me here, by the way? And uh, walked in the canteen, and the facilities, they weren't great, but they were okay, um, manageable. Went out in the, uh, the, the field, the pitches, and they were okay. I just had to see how everything was. The, you come in your kit, you leave in your kit, you wash your own kit, uh, you do your own boots, something I've never had to do in my career in Newcastle. So this is all new, and it kind of grounded me in a way, which I absolutely loved. And it's what I missed when I left school, the three years of in the academy, the scholarship, you kind of have to do all your, your, your chores. Mm. But yeah, he uh, signed a contract there and it was a two-year deal. Uh, first year, obviously, before I came out of the well, it was a good year for me, 52 games, fans play of the year. And I said to them, I said, listen, uh, well in Phoenix, you know, the opportunities come where I want a new challenge. I appreciate for what you've done. And they were brilliant. Um, they let me leave my, yeah, I had my contract left to come out here and uh, I've never looked back How was the first uh, first A-League season for you? I loved it I think it's just the, the whole challenge of everyone I remember the, the launch I had to do um, in Sydney I had to sit there and everyone's telling us that Wellington's going to be uh, the wooden spoon and that was in a fire in my belly of, I think proving people wrong and, and changing the kind of identity how people look at Wellington Phoenix is I made sure that there's no chance the team will come here and think they're going to have an easy game. Whatever's happened in the past, that's done. You've got a new manager, you've got new players, and uh, this is a new mentality. A whole new ball game's coming uh, to us now. The fight was there. But we still had a few players last year that, for me, weren't good enough. Uh, they've gone now, and we've got hungry players. We've still got the core of experience, which you need, and the youth that are coming now, and the young players have come some cracking young Kiwi and Sydney kids who will come in and 
the experience that I think looks David Ball. I think you've got a top striker there, very clever striker at the A League, something similar to Lafondra. Um, very clever, intelligent player, brings players into the game. Um, I think the fans will be getting excited with him. You, know, you look at Joshi Soterio up front, the pace that he's got. I think we'll cause a lot of problems this year, but we'll be more compact. I think we'll be more of a team where I think it'll be harder to break down where last year we were wide open. We just took the game to the, to teams. We're a bit like how the Kevin Keegan era was. We'll score more than you. You said you've got a few uh, few new faces there. How's the banter in the changing room? That's always going to be good. I think yeah, we'll create that from day one. I think I've got a good group of guys around us, you know, leaders as well. Even some of the young boys, they're stepping up to the plate. And uh, my only concern from the end of last season is bringing a lot of young lads in. How are they going to be able to to mix are they going to be quiet, shy? I tell you what, from day one, they've been different class. And it's good on the training pitch to buy into what the manager wants. And that's something that we didn't have last year, was we didn't know that what our starting team was until round four or five, really. Like, what's the best team that we've got? What system are we going to play? Um, so really, we we didn't really know until, I think, the Perth game at the Westpac last year, um, where we really started to, to play like a Phoenix side that we know we are. Just going to do a uh, 5v5, five football questions, five uh, personal questions. Biggest influence on your career? My dad. Most talented teammate? Hatan Ben Arthur. Best opponent played against? Ruud van Nistelrooy. Favourite goal you scored? Celta Vigo. Winning goal. First goal. St. James Park from the home fans. Into the Forest Cumbrum. Best moment in football or strangest moment in football? Um, best moment in football for me is... Uh, Making my home debut for Newcastle United, the proudest moment. It was an honour. Favourite food? Favourite food has got to be uh, Asian fusion. Favourite film? Favourite film has got to be Man on Fire, Denzel Washington. Biggest fear? Biggest fear? Um, plane crash. Best place for a night out? Um, got to say Newcastle, surely. Yes, Newcastle, I don't think it'd be that. Superhero power? Um... Your power for me would just be a mind reader. Stephen, good luck for the season. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. We appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Hit subscribe, then head over to playersloungepodcast.com for the full experience. See behind the scenes footage and watch the interview. We'll catch you next time on the Players Lounge Podcast.